Jalik Rainwalker was born a victim of abuse. At birth, he was addicted to alcohol and cocaine and was given up for adoption at two days old. Due to the circumstances of his birth, he faced severe developmental and behavioral issues. Jalik went through six different foster families before finally, at seven years of age, being placed with the family that would adopt him. Five years later, on November 2nd, 2007, Jalik's adopted father, Stephen Kerr, would awake to find Jalik missing. Now, 14 years later, many suspicious circumstances surrounding the disappearance have been uncovered. But Jalik has never been found. Welcome to Fact and Suspicion. I'm your host, Dan, here with my co-host, Ben. Hello. And today we will be discussing the disappearance of Jalik Rainwalker. And Daniel, I don't like to brag, but you may have noticed that this is the second week in a row that we have done an episode. Yeah. Yep. We are. That's kind of a big deal we're, we're we're getting them out there and next week we're going to try to have another one and maybe even the week row. after that yeah we'll see go for four in four weeks wouldn't wow. that be amazing i think that would actually be the first time that's ever been done maybe maybe, maybe not though. in the history of podcasting <laughs> i thought you meant the history of fact and suspicion <laughs> oh, it's definitely the first time it's been done in the history of fact and suspicion <laughs> uh well let's let's hope at any rate let's hope um, but we are trying. That's the point here. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is very new for still new for us doing the video uh, versions. Yeah. So it's we have a lot of kinks to work out every week. So. No question. <laughs> um, yeah, but let's let's get into the episode. Let's talk about Jalik Rainwalker. Um, now Jalik was, as we just said, born under very rough circumstances. His mother uh, was an alcoholic and addicted to crack. And Jalik was born with, you know, both those in his system. And, you know, he had fetal alcohol, says, uh, excuse me, fetal alcohol syndrome, mm. as well as just, you know, a list of other issues that, that came from this. He, um, as he was growing up, he, um, he did have some developmental issues, but mostly he had emotional issues. He had a lot of, um, violent outbursts um he would you know threaten and sometimes attack family members and these these um these fits would last sometimes up to an hour and he'd been known at times to just go bang his head into the wall when he's doing this so he was a really troubled kid yeah though i mean that that's a bit extreme obviously mm -hmm. but i mean i think developmental issues even serious developmental issues are, are normal for children of uh yeah you know, drug addicted parents yeah, and um, you know and he grew just, up without his parents, did he not? He did. Yeah, he was just put up for adoption at two years of age, and yeah. we really we don't even know. Um, we can't really find much information about his actual birth parents. Okay, uh, we know he he's biracial, but I don't even know. Like you know, like I know that one parent was African American, one was white, but I don't know which one was which. Oh, okay, um, you you would think you hear the last name Rainwalker, and a lot of people assume he's Native American, uh, but he is not. That's um. The family that adopted him um, were 
I don't mean to say this necessarily disparagingly, but they're sort of hippies, you know? Mm. And they gave all of their children the last name Rainwalker, even though that wasn't their last name. So that's why, I mean, a lot of people ask that question, but that's why he has the name Rainwalker. Okay. Um, now, while he was, he was troubled, like he was, I mean, you know, I cannot find a picture of this kid anywhere where he doesn't look really happy. You know, he had a lot of good times as well, it seems. He, he was a happy kid. Um, and they say that, you know, when he was not um, having one of his outbursts, he actually did really well with everyone else. Seemed to be well balanced other than his occasional or sometimes frequent. Um, Do we know how he did in school? Well, it's it's really. And I don't just mean his grades. I mean, like behaviorally as well. He So from the age seven on, he was homeschooled. So we really we don't know. For sure. Um, and something we'll, we'll get into in just a second um, is, is an issue he had at the homeschool. Okay. Uh, but let's just let's, let's get into his, his history a little bit. Now, the family b- before the family finally adopted him, the, the sixth family, uh, they had actually planned to adopt him. Things were going well with him, but he actually attacked one of their daughters. Mm. And they decided they, they couldn't and they had to move on. So he went back into the system. Uh, and then... Uh, after he went to live with it's Stephen Kerr and Jocelyn McDonald. Um, they're a husband and wife. They just had separate, different last names. Uh, uh, they did finally adopt him. He lived with them for two years uh, before the adoption. Like and then foster? They, yeah, fostered for two okay. years, and then they adopted him. Okay. Um, now, they also they had three biological sons, and they had one other adopted uh, daughter, um, Kerr and Were McDonald. they at least good adopted parents? Um. Well, let's let's talk about that. Actually, okay. um, it's poor kid. I, I don't want to say that they were necessarily bad parents, but there are a lot of things that bring that into question. Uh, and one of those things is they lived in a very, I, everything I've I've read calls it a a non traditional lifestyle. But they lived in a a home with no plumbing, uh, so there's no running water. There there are no toilets for them to what use. What year was this? Um, uh, well, it was in the nineties. He was. Um, how did an adoption agency well, let no, that happen? Me, it was in the 2000s. Well, okay, so let, 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 we should point this out. They were not living in that house when they made the adoption, mm. okay? But after the adoption was completed, they moved into this new place because an adoption agency would not allow that to happen. Okay. Um, you know, you, you, you wouldn't, they wouldn't allow someone to foster a child in that sort of house, right? Yeah, I'd hope then not. They have to go outside and use an outhouse, you know? You can't even, like, wash your hands, um, it didn't really, I mean, it had electricity because they had a generator they'd run from time to time, but it was very rare that they actually used the generator. Um, they um, they raised chickens and sold eggs at, you know, farmer's markets. Were they Amish? No, just, as I said, I mean, I guess hippies is a term for it. I'm not trying to use that disparagingly. I just I don't know how to describe something. I'm fine with using they're, hippies they're, disparagingly. You know, um, they, they tried to live an off-the-grid lifestyle that didn't um, impact the environment. Uh, but you know, take it as you will. I don't like that for, um, you know, adopted children. Also, no. there was only one bedroom in the house. Everyone slept in the same room. But were there not... I mean, I guess after you're adopted, there's not going to really be anybody keeping tabs on you. No, because the, that but, child is yours then. So you're but what in about the same... during the foster system? I know that there's usually state agents that come around to make check up. Yeah, on but you, they right? were living in a regular home when that was happening. Right, right, right. Right. So you know, once once these children are adopted, it 
they're they're their children. It's just like any other family, right? Right. right? You know, nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I don't like so. If you raise your own children from birth, like everyone just sleeping in the same room forever, right? That's one thing. But when you're taking adopted children, you know, they're used to having their own space a bit. I, I don't know if you, it's just not fair to put them in that situation, right? No. And especially if they knew that they were planning on moving into that sort of mm-hmm. lifestyle when they adopted and were just waiting for the adoption to clear so they could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, it's not ethical. No, and um, the only you said they all slept in the same room. The only um, sort of you know separation there is they hung a curtain for their daughter so she could have some privacy. But everyone else was just in the same room all the time. Uh, now, as I said, Jalik was homeschooled um, as well as his adopted sister. There are reports though that the biological sons actually went to private school, uh, and that's you know that's not ethical either. Um, so a difference in standard of education yeah, between well, the biological and the adopted children? Well, a difference in standard for, you would think, more than just education. But yeah, probably right? so. If that's the case. you. But when you adopt a child, that child is yours. You cannot make a difference between them and your biological children. I mean, I can't say legally you can't make a difference, but you're not supposed you to. You probably shouldn't. And ethically, you, you cannot do that ethically, right, when this is your child. So, do we know if there were any other differences that were being made? I mean, were the were the biological children just generally treated better by the family? That it's it's hard to say. I mean, you've had some differing reports. I I don't have good sources on them. I will say though that Jalik and I don't know if the the biological children were punished this way, but at times Jalik had been punished where the mother said Jocelyn would not allow him to use the outhouse. Excuse me. He had to just sort of go hit the woods. Okay, why did you have any difficulty telling me that they were bad parents? Good parents don't use bathroom privileges as a punishment. I agree. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to start casting judgment already because we're going to get into a lot more about these parents as we go on. They prevented the children from using the bathroom as punishment. Well, they prevented this child from using the bathroom as punishment. I don't know about the others. I just know that this happened to Jalik. Jesus Christ. Uh, from time to time. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about their fifis, to be honest with you, buddy. Well, now, uh, let's let's uh, also, I would like to mention, you know, Jalik was very troubled. You know, he, he had a lot of, uh, we had the developmental issues, and we have severe emotional issues. How could you blame him? Uh, well, he was not getting any sort of psychiatric care or medication for those either. I don't know if they just didn't believe I in guess that. It's being the hippie sort, they probably didn't believe in psych- psychiatric care at all. Maybe not, though. I would think, you know, if um, Jalik was, um, you know, he was under the, um, what's the, the phrase I'm trying to use? When he, he was adopted, he was adopted as a special needs child. And that is a different classification. I don't know what goes into that necessarily, but you would think there would be a legal obligation that they would need to get him any sort of care he needed. You would think so, and that, uh, that would be especially like because part you know, of the adoption. Agreement. They were getting paid fifteen hundred dollars every month. Yeah, uh, right. for for having him, even not as a foster as a, as an adoption, right? Him and and his his adopted sister, she was special needs as well. So that's fifteen hundred dollars for each of them, and that money. So we'll get into this. They soon. adopt these kids just for the money. We'll get into that in a little bit. They they may have, uh, but I'm going to say you know if fifteen hundred dollars a month for a special needs child, I don't think is that much money 
I mean, it's, if you're if compared you're, to their total overall needs, probably not. But that's if you're fulfilling those needs. Exactly. Exactly. If you're taking care of this child the way they need to be taken care of, getting them the you know the psychiatric care, getting them any medication, getting them any counseling they need, and obviously this child needed counseling. Yeah. Um. Then that's going to eat up a good bit of that, and also providing things like a bedroom and running water and yeah, electricity. That nice. those things go into you know that fifteen hundred dollars as you well. You shouldn't even have to mention those things. Like that, that should be expected. Right. Exactly. And this is just part of my criticism here. But these these are the things that happened. Were they more like the crystals and incense type than, you know, like the psychiatric care sorts? I I don't have any reports of crystals and incense. I, I do know that at at one point, um Jocelyn's mother did mention her taking one of her birth sons to the doctor just a regular checkup. Well, that's good. So, I mean, at least there was medical care for at least some of the children. I, I don't, I'm not saying that Jalik wasn't receiving medical care. I just, I don't know don't for know, sure. Right. Now, uh, m- moving on, this is sort of the situation he was in. And obviously I don't think this sort of living condition is helping his mental state any. Yeah, probably not. Now, um, Jalik was homeschooled and it wasn't just he and his sister. There were some other children that would come over and be in part of this homeschool class. Mm-hmm. And Jalik threatened a five-year-old in that. And he, according to um, Jocelyn and Stephen, he threatened him with a, a violent sexual assault. Do we know the specifics? We don't know the specifics of it. This is just what's been told to us. Okay. Uh, and obviously, now that's a huge issue. You can't. Yeah, it's a problem. He's 12 and this is a five-year-old kid. Holy shit. Um, they're, they're being homeschooled together. And we have a big problem when that happens. And at this point, um, Stephen and Jocelyn contact, uh, you know, child services. And they're saying, you know, this is, this is sort of the end. He's just become unmanageable with all these issues. And they try to see if they can reverse the adoption. Like refunding a kid? Pretty much, yeah. And obviously that's not... You can't reverse an adoption. When once you adopt a child, that child is yours. Now you could I'm assuming they could have, you know, given him back to the foster system, like given him up, you know, sort of surrendered him. I mean, surely. But I I I don't know if that would have impacted the check they get for the other kid. I'm I'm not saying it would have or wouldn't have. Yes, Obviously, no. I don't think you'd be able to adopt again if you give back a child that you adopted. Not. Uh, but they, they were looking into it, right? Kids aren't t-shirts that you picked up at Walmart. No, no, they are well, not. They didn't quite fit. Maybe. Well, and I mean, it, they, they did have him for five years. It's not like this didn't, they didn't, I'm not gonna say they didn't try. Yeah. Right? Uh, 18 roughly is, is usually the contract. No, I, that's not what I'm arguing. I'm just saying it's not like they did this immediately. They did have him for a while. Now, um, one thing I do want to mention before I move on I mean, to I'm sorry, exactly I just don't have here. any sympathy for trying to take the kid back. You do what any other parents would do in that sort of horrific circumstance. You try to get the child help. Yes. You don't just try to give him back. Well, I also, I don't think that he necessarily, you know, obviously this creates a problem for the homeschool class, but he probably shouldn't have been being homeschooled with a, a five-year-old, like a, a neighbor's five-year-old either. You know, if he has the, the, right. this much trouble... I'm not saying he's not safe to be around them, but after this happens, maybe you should split up the homeschool class, right? Instead of trying to refund the adoption or well, reverse the adoption. Why would 
those kind of disparate ages be in a class together anyways. Well, I mean, you just have one, you, I think it was Jocelyn, you just have Jocelyn teaching them. It's not like you have a separate classes. It's just she teaches these different kids homeschool. So, but again, I, I don't think, if he was unstable and had a history of possibly attacking other kids, I wouldn't put a small child in a, in a you know, in an environment with him all yeah, the time. Yeah, of course. I'm not trying to be unfair to Jalik. Jalik was a troubled kid, and, you know, but you have to take these precautions. Well, right? yeah. Now, what child services did suggest to them when they said, you know, we, we can't reverse this adoption, you know, we have some options, but they said, Maybe you should try a temporary respite care. And basically what a respite care is, is if a caregiver needs a, a break, if there's you know some friction, then another family, another foster family can take that child for a, you know, a short amount of time, mm-hmm. sort of give them a break. Or sometimes it happens, you know, um, if, for instance, if one family's fostering a child, but they have to go, you know, out of state mm-hmm. or, or out of country and they can't take that child with them legally then a respite caregiver would take them for a little while until okay. they get back. I know that existed, um, but. Well, it's, it's just a, it's unless you're familiar with the system, it's probably not something you would know about, but he, they did, he did go to um, a respite house, uh, which is just another family. And he stayed there for close to a week. I believe it was five days. I've, I've read some different articles. One says a week, one says five days. It's hard to say exactly. Now, he stayed with Elaine and Tom Person for that five days, and he was supposed to go to another family soon after that. Uh, Stephen actually had to cancel a trip he was taking out of the country mm-hmm. uh, because he couldn't find any care for Jalik um, other than the Persons. Now, he, he was going to go to another family soon after that, but he couldn't immediately. So uh, Stephen picks him up. They go have dinner at Red Robin. This is November 1st, by the way, okay. when Stephen picks him up. They have dinner at Red Robin, and then they go stay the night at Stephen's parents' house, actually. And the, the strange thing about this is it's the same town, Greenwich, New York, where Stephen and Jocelyn live. Okay. But he doesn't take Jalik back to their home. He takes him to his parents' house. Now, his parents are not home. His dad is uh, some sort of diplomat he lives in romania i believe uh but he's he's never around really he's you know always out of town so i i guess this is a house they just have access to most of the time i don't have clarification on that but they just went there to spend the night but it is strange to me that they went to spend the night there when they could have just gone on to their home in the same town is that going to play into yes the the, horrific thing that inevitably happens that's going to play into it but i mean do, do you find that to be strange yeah, a little. I mean, I, I don't really understand the context very well. So I mean, well, I'm I'm wondering, and this is not something that information has been released on. I've been wondering if perhaps Jocelyn said, "Don't bring him back here." Right I guess that's after that happened, yeah. so he's like, "Well, maybe I'll just stay at my parents' house and keep Jalik there." Okay, maybe we don't have any clarification on that, but that's that's possible. Uh, they go to Red Robin. They go back home. Uh, apparently, at some point, Stephen stopped and rented a movie. He may have done that before he picked Julie Cup. I don't know. But they go back home. Uh, Stephen says that he sends Julie to bed at about 9 o'clock. They go okay. to sleep. He gets up the next morning at 7.30, and Julie is missing. Uh, it, when he goes in his room, it looks like Julie's there. 
Uh, he says that there's pillows and blankets stuffed up under the covers to make it look like someone's in the bed. Implying that he was trying to mask the fact that he wasn't there. Yeah, like like maybe Saying he had he run, run away, away and was trying to, you know, buy himself some extra time, maybe. Uh, and that was those 730 in the morning. Now, he also finds a note from Jalik. Okay. And that note says, it's very short. It says, Dear Everybody. I'm sorry for everything. I won't bother you anymore. Goodbye, Jalik. That's short and to the point, I suppose. Super short. There's another piece of paper with the word Albany written on it. Uh, and they said that it looks sort of like a, a sign that a hitchhiker might hold up, like, you know, showing their destination. Like, you know. Is there any reason Jalik would want to go to Albany? Jalik did have two biological brothers that lived in Albany. So it is possible he would have gone to go to Albany. But I'm I'm going to say something here. That short little note, to me, it it doesn't strike me off the bat as necessarily an I ran away note. It strikes me maybe as possibly a suicide note as well. Yeah, I didn't consider that at the time, but yeah. And it could I be that. just when I read that, I I would think you'd panic about that, right? Was it in his handwriting for sure? Yes, it was okay. in his handwriting. Um and there's another little side note to that. Just in one second, we'll clarify that he did write it. Okay. Uh, but that was 7.30 a.m. And now Stephen did not call the police until 8.57 a.m. Excuse me? Why not exactly? Well, he didn't say necessarily. Oh. Or he hasn't said publicly necessarily why he didn't call the police uh, mm-hmm. until then. Now... Let's talk about that, though, right? Let's talk yeah, about yeah, let's about calling the police. I don't necessarily think like if your child runs away and you don't call the police for an hour and a half. I'm not saying about this circumstance, okay? But I'm saying in general, it doesn't always show neglect or guilt on your part. I don't think. Okay, in my mind, there's a couple circumstances here. How old is the child? Well, he was 12 in this instance. Okay, that's too young. I would probably say call the police almost immediately. I'm not disagreeing with you. I would have called the police. I guess the second question is, have they done this before? And is there a place they usually go that you'd want to check? No, no, we don't have uh, any history of Jalik actually doing this before. Absent those two things, I would say particularly with with an odd note like that that could be read as a suicide note, you have to call the police immediately. Well, I would say under a more normal circumstance, let's say... Your kid runs away and they leave a note. If you go out and you call the neighbors and you call their friends and you have people running around helping you look for them. Well, that's the normal stuff, right? I I think you may not necessarily want to call the cops immediately because you don't want them to necessarily get in trouble or, you know, have the police looking at them in the future for some kind of being a troublemaker, right? If you can just go find them real fast and help them out. I understand that, but it seems to me that... In the moment, you exhaust the few mm-hmm. options you have, you know, whatever friends he might be with, whatever relatives, and then you call the damn police. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I, I, I'm just saying that I don't think you can count not calling the police on the surface as as proof of anything, especially if they're I mean, out suspicious. there. I mean, especially if they're out there looking for their child, right? Yeah. If you're... If you're calling their friends saying, hey, did Julie come to your house? Can you take a look, you know, in your kid's bedroom, make sure he's not there. But I, I, 
I, we don't have any evidence that happened in this situation, though, right? Uh, all we know that Stephen Kerr did between 7.30 a.m. and 8.57 a.m. when he called the police was take a shower and return the movie he rented. Excuse me, wait. He returned a movie rental while his child was missing? Yup. Now that, I'm going to say that fact right there may not imply guilt, but it implies the fact that you are a, a piece shit, of shit parent. If you go return the movie you rented while your child is missing. I mean, would you even, would it even cross your mind to do that? No, no. I, I don't think that, that $2 late fee or five, what the hell ever, you know, it used to be late fee is going to be crossing my mind if my kid's gone. I would be so panicked. Like, I, honestly, I might not be the type that would call the cops immediately. I would be out in my car driving up and down the road just I mean, in does, a panic, right? How does that conversation even go? All right, I'm going to look for the kid. Hey, can you turn the return the movie? Well, did you rewind it? Well, now let me do that real quick. <laughs> well, well, now, like, Jocelyn wasn't there to remind him to rewind. It was just Steven. <laughs> oh, dear God. But I... Okay, Daniel, once again, how the hell did you have any problem saying that these were shit parents? I just didn't want to say that at the very beginning of the episode. I wanted everyone to make up their own mind as we went along. Everyone of the same mind at this point. We're present. I'm presenting a case so that you can make up your own mind. And obviously, I think these are shitty parents, especially the dad. I don't know the mom's as bad as the dad, but the dad is a real piece of work. Yeah, yeah. Now about that little. It's just terrible people. Runaway note. Okay, if you'll remember. Um, Jalik had just been staying with the respite care family. That's Elaine and Tom Persons. Okay. Now, Elaine said that Jalik was really good for them while he was there. Um, he was well behaved. He didn't have any real bad outbursts, you know, and they got along real well with him. He seemed really happy and uh, everything was, was, was pretty good while Jalik was there. Now, I'm not saying that this indicates that Jalik really wasn't having those outbursts because, you know, sometimes with a new family, you, it could just be a new environment. A new environment. It's relieved some of the stresses that were on him. Right. I'm sure he was happy that he could just go to the bathroom whenever he wanted to yeah. or take a shower, right? But Elaine said that that little note, he, she said he wrote that at her house. Uh, that was, according to her, a homework assignment that Stephen had given him to write a letter apologizing to his, uh, his class, his homeschool class. Really? Yeah. That doesn't, I'm not going to say that necessarily means that Stephen is this mastermind that said, I'm going to have him write this letter, then I'm going to use it to get rid of him. But if he had the letter and needed to cover something up mm. later on, it's pretty handy. Right? Yeah. Not a bad little document to have laying around. It doesn't necessarily sound like. You know, if you're going to kill children, that is, yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to say there's no evidence that he planned this. Okay. Okay. That is a bit of circumstantial evidence that he may have. But then again, I, if you look at this guy, like look at what he said, look at his pictures, look at videos of him, does not strike me as any sort of mastermind. Uh, you showed me a picture. Yeah, that you're He right. looks kind of, you know, he looks derpy. Well, look at the way he lived. Well, I'm just saying he looks derpy. Don't you expect clean derpy. cut. Like, well, I mean, do you expect this guy to be able to plan that far in advance to 
have him write this letter? I mean, it's not like it would take a genius to have a child write a letter and then kill him. No, this is this dude's a dumbass, though. And it would be a week in advance he was planning it. I just don't think this guy can do that, okay? I just, I just don't think he can. So you don't think he killed him? I'm not saying I don't think he killed him. I just don't think he can plan it that far in advance. You know, I just don't think he's that bright. Maybe, maybe. I just, I don't think it takes that many brain cells to, to realize, to think, well, I want to kill the kid, but I need it to seem like the kid might have ran away. Well, we'll get into it and a little then, bit. I. I, I I lean toward if 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 he may have killed Jalik, it may have been more of a spur of the moment thing, like his temper got away from him. I, it doesn't seem to me like he's the kind of person to plan it, if that makes sense. And this was after Jalik had made those uh, threats, right, about the yeah. child. Mm-hmm. It might have been easy to justify, like he was no, protecting someone. Excuse me, there's no justification. No, no, no. I'm not making a justification. I understand I'm, that, but I'm like, I don't see how anyone a, can justify that in their mind. I'm trying to come up with what a crazy fuck like that might use as justification. Yeah. At yeah. any rate, we have this crazy letter. Crazy people convince themselves of just about anything. Well, that's very true. We have this letter. Okay. We have a lame person saying that Jalik wrote that letter at her house, right? Okay. Now, make of that what you will. Is there any reason to dispute that, her story? No, not at all. Other than the fact that it doesn't strike me as the kind of letter that you would write as an apology to your class. Yeah, it does seem weird. It does seem weird, but if if she, I don't see why she has any reason to lie. I mean, obviously she, and as you'll see later on, she does not like um, Jalik's adopted parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that she has good reason for that, that of the stuff that she learned about from this later on. Okay. I don't think at this point she had any reason to lie about that though. Other, like, you know, this is probably part of what convinced her that something was bad. Okay. Right? Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, now I, I do want to note that, that that person, she became a real advocate for Jalik though. Um, and arguably I say arguably like um, she really did more to go out there and try to help locate him and work toward finding him than his adopted parents did. That's not surprising. Um, she and um, Jocelyn's mother, which has been Jalik's grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, Barbara uh, Reilly, actually got together with some of Jalik's other former foster parents. They still cared about him. They just, you know, they weren't equipped to deal with him, right? Mm-hmm. Got together and formed this fine Jalik task force. And you know, they really did a lot of work. They they created a website, findjalik.org. Now, that is no longer still up today. I don't know why, but it would not be too far-fetched to assume it's something to do with Kerr and McDonald's lawyer trying to get taken down because that website was very critical of Julie's parents. I mean, they told stories that were... I mean, it seems to me that any honest account of that would be critical of the parents. Well, I'm just saying there are a lot of stories that I don't want to bring too many of them up because... A website like that, you know, obviously it's skewed in one direction. So, and if you don't have any other sources, right. but it, it told some some disturbing stories. Um, like, like it, it talked about, uh, you know, how Jalik uh, would be banned from using the outhouse for one Jesus thing, Christ. right? That that's one of the um, that's one of the stories that 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 website would tell. You know, portraying um, Kerr and McDonald as you know crappy people they were. Just putting that out there, but we don't know if all these were necessarily 
absolutely true. Um, another thing, if even website, half of it was true, these people were worthless. Another thing that was on the website was you know back when they had the home where the kids had their own rooms, mm-hmm. said that Julie could be locked in his room at night. It's just my God, you can't poor do kid. That. I mean, I can understand like if you lock the the house up so that a kid can't get out the house, you don't lock them in that room. Like I, I just don't understand if you're going to abuse children, like. Why adopt more of them? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they abused any of the other children. Maybe it was something to do with Jalik and his issues, you know? Maybe again, you know, they've been they've been accused of of adopting these two kids just for the check they get every month. That's, and I'm not saying that's I mean, that's a pretty case common or not. uh I mean that's a pretty common accusation, particularly among bad foster parents. It is, it is. And and you know, I think that's Possibly a, yeah. That's just that's a statement about our foster care and adoption system in general in this country. Yeah, like you, you. I'm not saying you have really good people that 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 provide foster care. And to be clear, that they should get some payment. I mean, if for no other reason to help the child. No, exactly. Like like these kids, and I would say a kid like Jalik with a lot of needs. I would say you know fifteen hundred dollars a month for that child. That's that's probably going to. You would need that to provide the kind of care they need to yeah. make sure you're making sure this kid has clothing, enough food. Um, I think it's important for foster and adopted kids. Look, let's say that Jalik in another house, uh, let's say he was with a family and he started playing baseball. Now, this is just a, a for instance. This right, is not right. something that really happened with Jalik, but like he got used to playing baseball and wanted to play baseball, right? Well, when he moves to another family, you know, that money could go toward making sure that he can be on a baseball team and, you know, buying his bat, his cleats, whatever equipment right, he needed, right. stuff like that. I think it's important for kids that, you know, they, they maintain some, store, some sort of stability when they move houses well, like yeah, that. Well, yeah, of course. And, and something like that, I think, I think the government should make sure they get to do that. I, I think, you know, let's say this child – you know, is on a basketball team, loves basketball. If he has to move houses, they should make sure when they put him in a new house, say, now you have got to make sure you're going to get this check, but you got to make sure he gets to be on a basketball team. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. I mean, it'd probably be difficult to mandate specific things like that. Well, I just feel like... I think the most important thing is to make sure the resources are available that the child is taken care of properly. Because when it comes to children and people who are taking care of children, particularly in the foster system... We could probably afford to be a little more charitable than we are. Right. And that's what that $1,500 is for. And I'm not saying that that number is too high or too low. I I just feel like, I just you know, hope it's being spent on the child. Exactly. I don't feel like uh, the system in itself is doing the due diligence that is necessary to make sure these kids are in a good situation. Obviously, when they're in foster care, you have someone checking up on them. Mm-hmm. Right. But once they're adopted, no one's checking up on these kids anymore. I feel like if you're getting a check for this child that you've adopted, so, uh, you, you should still be check. Somebody should be checking in on them. Part of me, like I really worry about civil liberties there because after you've adopted a child, that's your child. No, no parent uh, of a non-adopted child would want the government coming by once a week or once a month to make sure that they're that they have a, a certain standard. Well, stop taking the check every month then. So you're saying just as long as they're getting the money, that there should be, there should some, be somebody checking in just to make sure these people aren't just taking the money. And do this as a business. Maybe you could do that as some sort of like uh, accounting instead of actually doing like home inspections and that sort of thing. Maybe. Maybe like show I, the I just, receipts where you're taking Jalik to the doctor. Well, not just Jalik, any child, to the doctor. You're, you know, buying him clothes. You're 
you know, I don't know, paying his school lunch account with it, whatever, you know, right, right. Um, taking him to the therapist. It would have been a nice use of that, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Having the toilet installed. Maybe. I don't even. Maybe have a toilet installed. A sink. Yeah. You know? Some, I mean, basic hygiene seems pretty fucking important. Oh God, yes. And you know, you know what that strikes me about this particular case with the no running water. For me, like uh, you would know this about me, but I have chickens, like as a hobby. I don't have a lot of chickens. I have some chickens, right? They these people kept chickens to raise eggs. Chickens are filthy. Okay. Okay. They are dirty. You cannot take care of chickens without getting dirty, right? You know, if they're in a coop, you have to clean their, you know, droppings out of that coop, right? Okay. There's a lot of cleanup that goes on with chickens. I cannot imagine. Like, I'm a bit of a germaphobe. Oh, doing I, that without running water? Without running water. Oh, God. To yeah. go clean up later. Right? What, are you going to go that, jump in the that's... creek afterward? I mean, no. You need to be able to clean up. You know, and I don't know if they're making the kids do part of this, you know, taking care of their animals. But that is unconscionable to make a kid go do that, and then he can't go get in the shower after. I mean, I just I, it seems like all the hand sanitizer in the world wouldn't take care of that. No. Hand sanitizer may, you know, it'll kill germs, but it's not, you know, scrubbing the poop off your hands. Oh, dear God. Anyway, I, I, got, I got a little off topic there, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I did not realize I was going to rant so much about these people when I started this episode. Well, they are colossal um, pieces of shit. I think we can agree that. Yeah. Well, at any rate, um, we, we, we were talking about findjalik.org, and that may be why it's been taken down, because I know that uh, that Jocelyn and Steven have a lawyer to deal with things like this, so that may be why it's taken down. I don't know. It may have come down for some other reason, okay. uh, but it's not up any longer. Now, um, the police... You know, a lot of times we talk about when kids go missing, how the police just drop the ball. Right, right. right. That did not happen. Um, the the chief of police in Greenwich was named George Bell, and he became super invested in this case. Well, that's good. Um, last, glad to see someone was looking out for that poor kid. I mean, immediately, they're doing searches. They did helicopter searches. They had forest rangers. They had divers going places. They drained a pond. So there was a body of water nearby? Yep, and they drained it. They, they, they did more than just drain a pond. They ended up searching... Um, at sort of a base of a dam, they had divers go down in it. And this is a place they called the hell hole because being at the base of a dam, stuff would just suck down in there. Mm-hmm. And it was a very dangerous place to dive. And these divers, you know, sort of took their lives in their hands to go down there and dive for the body. And they did not find anything there either. But they didn't find anything. But they did a lot of searches. Um, well, at least somebody was looking out for that kid's interest. He got the FBI involved, the state police. He contacted the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, used their resources. Now, that is exactly the kind of chief of police you want, mm-hmm. who who isn't who doesn't have a problem with bringing in people who know better than him to help with the search. Yeah, and you know they were just regularly going over their budget too, trying to find Jaleed. Like that interagency politics when that gets in the way of finding a missing person it's so frustrating or solving any crime really no and he worked with them but you know he was really the head of the investigation even like he's the still one it's not like the state police or the fbi they weren't doing the press conferences right, right it was the chief and i mean i don't know for sure but i got the picture that he was just so invested in it they felt like he was the one to head it up and they just sort of assisted you know because this guy like of all the missing persons cases we've looked at, I've never seen the cops be this devoted to one. And it's just terrible that they did never found anything, right? 
but but again, um, he used every resource available, and and he did for years and years. Oh, it's not like it was just some silver lining to this. But case. you know, at least we had somebody out there looking out for Jaleek because obviously his parents were yeah. right. Now, um, he the Chief Bell, he was very suspicious of Stephen from early on. And, you know, the suspicion is just built because, and as he said in, in multiple interviews, you know, a 12-year-old child just doesn't fall off the face of the planet. No. Right? You know, eventually you're going to find them somewhere. They can't, they don't have the resources to just disappear. Right. Or you right. would probably, and the way they searched, you know, they, they would probably found a body or found him within a few days. And when they didn't, things are looking terrible because this is upstate New York in November. It is cold at night. And you know, I, I don't. I don't think a kid like Jalik would just stay out there and freeze to death. I think he would show up somewhere. So were they? Uh, were they asking the father and mother serious questions by this point? Yeah, and they were not cooperative at all. And now, they, they ne- he never got around to answering why he didn't call the police for an hour and fifteen minutes or an hour and a half. I can't say he didn't tell the police that. We just don't know. We just don't know. He hasn't. Like his lawyer hasn't issued a statement of why he didn't do it. Right. It seems like if his lawyer had a good explanation, he would give it to the public. Yeah, you would think so. Now, um, again, Chief Bell has said they have been just notoriously uncooperative with this. Uh, Stephen wouldn't give them all the answers they needed to things. He he wouldn't tell them things. They actually wouldn't let him search the house. Now, now initially, they let him search the house when Jalik first went missing. But at the time, they didn't suspect foul play. Right. right? They're, the just, moment- they're just looking for Jalik, see if there's any clues of where he went. Right. But later on, he wouldn't let him search the house. Uh, Just very uncooperative. Chief Bell actually said, this is weird, right? Said that um, when Stephen Kerr would come to the uh, police department, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't touch the door when he opened it. Like he was afraid to leave his fingerprints. Are you shitting me? He said he used his elbow to open the door. Okay, this motherfucker's guilty. Can can we just be honest? I'm going to say. He killed his kid. I think it's very possible he did. I'm going to say uh, a lot of times when I go in a place, if there's a kick plate on the door, I will use Daniel, a kick plate because you are a I'm, germaphobe. A, I'm a germaphobe. This man didn't have running water. He was not a germaphobe. Right. So I don't know why he wouldn't touch the damn door. When he well, I think you know exactly why he wouldn't touch the damn door. He didn't want to leave his fingerprints. He also declined to give his DNA. Um, another strange thing, you know, and I we we always talk about how you know don't do um, don't do a polygraph test. Look, I'm the first person to tell you don't take a polygraph <clears> test <throat> and don't give police your DNA. But when your own child is missing, the rules are a little different. Well, the, like, the, like I'm concerned about civil liberties, but in that situation, yeah. I don't think I would be right. I'd be worried about finding my damn kid. Exactly, and and I'm going to say the weird thing about the polygraph is Jocelyn, the wife, took a polygraph, but Stephen refused. I think that's weird that, you know, if the lawyer advised Stephen not to take one, he should have advised Jocelyn not to take one as well. I mean, look, I stand like even in cases like this is, is and I for right now, it seems like they're guilty. I still wouldn't recommend taking a polygraph. And it's not just because it's uh, a violation of rights, but because they're just not reliable. Oh no! Police should probably stop using. They're them. they're not. They're not. And I I don't want to issue a lot of judgment about the polygraph. It just adds up with everything else in the yeah. picture. Right uh, now. You know, also, Bell was saying that they just didn't act like your normal worried parents. You know, well, they, that's surprising. They never talked to the police without their attorney present. You mean the hippie chicken farmers without running water? They had to have their attorney and, present and used a to talk house. to the, Yeah. 
They had to have their oh, so, attorney so, present. So they believed in attorneys. They they very much. So, so apparently now, they very so now much we're believe civilized. in Okay. Uh, they 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 like they don't they I don't they have done a few statements, but almost every statement of anything they've released has come through that attorney. They've done a few interviews, but mostly it's all through the attorney. Uh, now that they um they didn't you know Chief Bell said they didn't uh, you know how a lot of times you know the parents will sort of set up shop at the police station. Well, yeah, they didn't stay at the police station. Like there are parents who like I hate to say it, put it like this, but there are parents of missing children or missing loved ones who irritate the shit out of police. Right? Oh yeah, they yeah. ride them constantly, constantly wanting updates. You expect that though. Well, I'm I'm gonna tell you something else that's even weirder than okay, this. Okay, lovely. You know, th- there would be vigils for Jalik. Mm-hmm. And at least one of those vigils, possibly more than one, Stephen was selling eggs. Oh, mother. And not for a reward, raise a reward money or anything. It's just, just selling eggs at the vigil. Missing parent slash egg merchant. I hate these fucking people, Daniel. I hate them. Oh, I understand. You're not the only one. There was uh, now there was another case where uh, there was a, a vigil being held for Jalik, mm-hmm. and Stephen was seen going around town taking down the flyers for it. And when asked about it, he actually told the media he was taking those down because the people that were organizing the vigil were. Um, disparaging him saying false things about him apparently it was you know the apparently it was the grandma and the uh the respite care lady from the Fondulik task force are putting it on so he was taking down flyers for a vigil for his son Mm -hmm. because someone said mean things about him well let's be honest they wouldn't have been saying mean things about him if he had just cooperated with police and told them everything he knew right so, yeah, that's exactly it. He didn't want them to hold a vigil for Jalik because they didn't like him. And, you know, it's Please not just that. The it's story not just. The prosecution. We'll get to it. Oh, you probably won't be happy about it. Uh, it's not just the vigil. Obviously, if this flyer's up, it draws attention to, to the fact child. that Jalik's missing. Oh, mother. You know, but no, let's take him down. So, um,. I mean, I've heard of parents, like in the Dior Kuntz case, right? You had them suspiciously dodging uh, mainstream media attention. But this is even a step further. This isn't just not accepting an invitation to go on, you know, Maury Povich, right? This is active. What year is this, right? I forget. Uh, Uh, This is actively taking down flyers that are already up of your child. Yeah. It's not that it's not just that you're not adding extra awareness. You're subtracting from the awareness that was that was already there. And this has been a huge criticism of uh of Stephen Kerr. Yeah, no. And yeah. you know, very very much fairly so. Uh now we we talked about um we talked about Elaine Person and we mentioned Barbara Reilly who was was Jocelyn McDonald's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh she has you know she doesn't even speak to Jocelyn anymore. She they've had a falling out because you know she doesn't believe they're being honest and coming you know coming forward to police with information they know. Well, that's surprising. She suspects something. Uh, now Barbara has told police a story about Stephen 
losing his temper with Jalique once. Uh, apparently, Jalique was doing something to get on Steven's nerves. And um, Steven kept saying, hey, stop that, stop that. And Jalique wouldn't stop it. Is he trying to go to the bathroom? No, I, I think he was making some noise, like drumming on the table or something like that. And um, he kept saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. And Jalique wouldn't stop. So Steven snaps, loses his temper. He grabs Jalik, drags him out back, and shoves his head under the creek and holds it there until Jocelyn makes him stop. Excuse me? This is a story. He held his child's head underwater? This is a story that Barbara really told police. I, I'm. Does she claim to have seen this firsthand? And I, I don't know. I think it was something Jocelyn told her. Okay. Um, but you have that. She's... She also really drew into question the whole $1,500 check per child they were getting, you know, for the two special needs children. And she says she now believes, you know, at the time she thought they were doing that for the right reasons, but it just eventually became, this is income. If that story is true, he was clearly violently abusive. It definitely seems that way. Now, now Jocelyn. That's not not the kind of thing that happens one time. Just because you lost your temper, right? Normal no. people do not go that far when they lose their temper. No, and this is also according to Barbara Reilly that uh, on more than one occasion, Jocelyn made him leave the house and stay somewhere else for a few days because of his anger issues that he was having with the kids. Oh, he killed the kid. Yeah, it does kind of sound that way, doesn't it? So this is just, just more evidence you have. And according to that story, he didn't even stop himself, did he? No, Jocelyn stopped him. It's it's terrible, but there's there's more, and this is all circumstantial. I, I don't realize this is all circumstantial, right? It's not hard evidence, but there's even more to that. If even half of this is true, their lack of cooperation, that god awful story, and the way they lived. I mean, yeah, it's circumstantial, but if I was on the jury, hey, guilty. I completely understand. Uh, there's more though. There's even more to this, this, these things that Barbara said. And this is, while it's not as shocking to me as some of the other things Barbara said, this is just one of the weirdest to me. So the day that Jalik was missing, right? Jocelyn mm-hmm. called her mom and said, we need you to come over here. You know, Jalik's missing. So she drives over to, it's Steven's parents' house where she goes. And Barbara is concerned because their son, Robin, has a doctor's appointment. She's got to get him to the doctor's appointment. And Stephen's saying, I need to go into work. My boss is having a birthday party in the office today. And Barbara's like, well, I'm going to go drive around and look for Jalik. Oh, my God. A birthday party? I think it was a birthday. It was some kind of office party for his boss. Yeah. That was more important than finding Jalik. Well, that was what he was concerned about at the time. I, I don't even know what to say to that. I don't either, to be honest. With I mean, you. I, hell, it's no worse than the movie rental. You know, I have said so many times when we talk about stuff like this, there's no playbook. There's no certain way you're supposed to act. But there are certain ways you're not supposed to act. And that's one of them. Mm-hmm. That is one of them right there. Again, this is, again, it's not, that's not even really evidence. That's just evidence they were shitty parents, really. It's yeah. not, that's not evidence of any kind of guilt. Honestly, to me, that, I feel like if if he had killed him, was trying to cover it up, he would act a little more concerned at that point, right? 
Maybe. I just I don't know what to think at this point. I don't I don't either, but that's something I feel like is important to to throw in there. Now, um in 2008, um, Barbara, the grandmother, mm-hmm. she petitioned the court to have custody of Jalik transferred to her. Um, now, she she wanted to do this because there are some legal obstacles to, when you're trying to, to locate someone. You know, mm-hmm. she couldn't legally obtain his medical records, or you know, if you're contacting a homeless shelter, for instance, to find out if Jalik's there. And the parents would not do any of this stuff for her. No, if you're not his parent, you can't necessarily inquire if he's there, right? If you're not his legal guardian. And, you know, the parents aren't doing this stuff. Um, well, and obviously she's not even getting along with the parents. They're not even talking at this point because she thinks they've done something to Jalik. Or more more, more in line with, she felt like Stephen had done something with Jalik. And, and she was cutting Jocelyn, was covering it Jocelyn up. Jocelyn was just either being, you know, willfully ignorant of it or covering it up. Uh, now, you know, and she wanted to do these things for Jalik and the, the courts uh, would not allow it. But also, she she said that if you know Jalik was found and came back home, she wanted him to have a you know a good stable home to come to because obviously they were trying to get rid of him. Yeah, clearly, and things weren't going well for him there. So she wanted to be able to bring him home, but uh, the courts denied her uh, gaining custody. Now, also in uh, two thousand eight, um, Stephen was officially named a person of interest in this. Well, that's. So, promising at least you know at, at least you do had we know why on. i mean other than the obvious is lack of refusal to uh to cooperate just lack of cooperation you had a lot of circumstantial evidence there's a, a few other things i want to get into here uh one is that um the the night that steven brought jalik home from the respite care mm-hmm. uh he told police you know which route they took coming home and they they could tell by cell phone pings he did not take that route, but he stuck by his story. Uh, that's strange yeah. in and of itself. Also, how accurate is that though? It's accurate enough they know he didn't take the route that he said he took. Okay, uh, they couldn't say exactly which way he went, but by the cell phone pings they knew he wasn't where he said. Just by what towers it was pinging. Just by the from. towers it was pinging from. Right now, um, another really strange thing is that uh, it was around midnight, a little after midnight. Uh, Early on the morning of the second of November. Now that's you know seven thirty in the morning is when he woke up and found Jalik missing on the second, right? Right. So this is on the second, uh, in the earlier in the morning, just a little after midnight. Um, a security camera at a local bank catches a uh, gold-colored van drive by. Uh, that matched pretty much exactly a van that belonged to Stephen's father that stayed at the house there. Really? Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, Stephen said they went to bed at nine o'clock and didn't leave again that night. Uh, and Stephen, and what time was this? It was after midnight. And Stephen wouldn't let them uh, investigate the van to try and match it to that one or do any. Yeah, that's work with that. that's incredibly suspicious. Incredibly suspicious, though. Uh, honestly, if he'd let him look at the van, I wouldn't have really questioned it because I mean, how many vans that look like that could there be? True. You know, but given the rest of the information and the fact that he really said, bad. no, you're not looking at it. You right. know? But then again, that's just par for the course. He didn't cooperate with anything in the investigation. He just and and he he said later that he wouldn't cooperate with the investigation because, you know, police were accusing him of doing something, looking at him. But I mean, you would think that's all the more reason to cooperate. But it seems like that went the other way, though, right? 
that they started looking at him because he wouldn't cooperate, not the other way around. Well, his continued uncooperation. Right. How about that? Right. Now, um, yeah, I said th- those are just a couple more suspicious things. So, did anything that. come of this? This person of interest naming? No, other than just the fact that he was uh, named as a person of interest. No, not really. No, he was never charged. And there's more to this, but. He's never been charged or anything like that. They never really found much evidence. Now, there, let's talk about a little more evidence, though. Um, 2008, Barbara Reilly, the grandmother, was arrested and charged with burglary. Uh, and what had happened is uh, Stephen and, and his wife and the family, the rest of the family, had moved to Vermont. Um, I, possibly to get away from some media attention or just get away from this painful thing that happened to them. Whatever. They moved. Right. right? Either way. Um, well... Their house was unlocked, and Barbara went over to their house, you know, their, like, shack house or whatever, right? And just poking around looking for evidence with a flashlight. And, How'd she uh, get caught? Uh, the, the, the neighbor saw her in there at night with a flashlight, you know? And it's oh, somebody's over here. So they called the cops. And obviously, like, the cops had to arrest her. Right. Um, but it kind of seems like the cops benefited from this because Barbara saw something in that house. Really? And just, you know— a few weeks later, the cops ex- executed a search warrant on it and found the same thing Barbara found. Well, that's interesting. It was a, a, a yellow fleece pullover that Jalik was reported to have been wearing when he went missing. That's similar to the Dior Coons case. Though. It's very similar. The same piece of clothing. Except there was that camouflage jacket he was supposed to be wearing yeah. that was found, or was reportedly found in the, yeah. in the home. Interesting. So, yeah, in that of itself, like, I cannot say that, that that's no kind of smoking gun, right? Because, well, no. you know, obviously, like, the kid was at, you know, somebody else's house for a week. You may not have known exactly what he was wearing. Though you would think if you found it later, you'd say, hey, I found this. This wasn't what he was wearing. Right. And then they just leave the damn thing in the house when they leave. Like, it's no big deal. But, yeah, Barbara. Well, the same thing that the uh, Dior Coons is, uh, I mean, under the same circumstances, right? They had been evicted. Mm-hmm. And they left his belongings. Yep. Now, there's another, and I can't say this is evidence of one thing or another, but this is one of the strangest things in this case. In January of 2008, an anonymous, anonymous letter was sent to the local press. Okay. And it was claiming that Jalik was alive and well, and he had been picked up that night. And it's a really strange letter. I'm going to read it to you verbatim, so you'll see how weird this letter is. It says, Jalik still alive. Needed a foot soldier for this war on drugs. Picked him up at Route 40, Post 30. He's okay. No fake. Oh, well, that's... Well, there we go. Authenticated. He says, asks his mama and papa... Who are the Macaroni family? My cat named Diamond, question mark. Why does Franti yell fire? Don't try to look. We are not there. What in Sam hell does any of that mean? I think it means someone was trolling the local press. Yeah, that's probably... Um, the, the police... Like, I can't even tell what they were trying to get at there. I can't either. No, I have no idea. The police were not able to, um, you know, verify any kind of source of this, like where it may have come from, who may have seen it. It was just gibberish. No idea. Now, um, however, current McDonald's lawyer jumped on this and claimed it was proof that Jalik was still alive 
Because it had information oh in it that God. eventually could have known. You're <laughs> this tell me supposed you're to have been a good lawyer, right? <laughs> this is proof Jalik's alive. That bunch of gibberish is proof that Jalik's alive. Okay. Apparently because okay. he at one point had a cat named Diamond. That is proof that Jalik's alive. Oh, my God. That That is ludicrous. So yeah, the, the 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 craziest part of the whole story to me is that how their lawyer jumped on that is like, oh, it's proof he's alive and well. Now, one question: if he did actually have a cat named Diamond, and that's not just the the BS of the of the dad, could the dad have written it or someone? Oh, I mean, they thought that maybe like like Jocelyn or Stephen wrote it, but I don't know if they put together that bunch of nonsense either. Because he could just be lying about the cat named Diamond, right? Yeah, th- there was no way to prove who wrote it or where it came from, so it, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't know that that dumb to write some crazy shit like that. I mean, can you imagine pointing to that as evidence that your kid's still alive? No, not at all. That was it's just insane. Um, nothing else really happened with this until December of 2012, uh, where they actually, you know, just with input from the FBI and in some of the other agencies they're working in, they decided to redesignate the case as instead of a missing child, as a probable child homicide. That's seems about right. I, I think that is safe to assume. Um, you know, at that I mean, point, I'd love to think otherwise, but yeah, I mean, at that point, if Julie had not resurfaced, something had happened to him. Uh, and at the time, the parents issued a statement uh, through the lawyer again that they hoped this didn't lessen any efforts by authorities to find Julie, and that they knew that one day he'd come home to them. Yeah, I'm sure. the fact that you've been trying to get rid of this kid and you you think he's going to come back home, do you want him to come? Uh, back you've home? done nothing. That would suggest you want that kid to come back home. No, now I'm, I'm going to say like initially, yeah, they did get out there with the searches and early on and and have vigils and stuff for him. But just as time kept going on, they became less and less cooperative, and just they didn't act like you know they didn't act like a concerned parents. Yeah, no, they didn't act like concerned parents from the beginning, but they just they didn't behave as they should have, especially going forward. Right. Um. But yeah, I think it's probably safe to say that that he was murdered. He met with foul play. Even if if Stephen didn't do anything to him, I think that it's very likely he during his you know trying to run away that you know he met with some foul play. Right. Now, you know, we, and I think the former is much more likely at this point. Yeah. I mean, you know, and we we've talked about stuff like this before about how remember with Asia degree. About how, like, if she really did, you know, just just run away on her own. I think she was lured right? away. I think she was lured away, right? But if she just ran away on her own and happened to meet with a child abductor in the middle of the night going down the road, I mean, what are the odds that Jalik would have done the same thing if he had run away, that he just meets with someone that decides they're going to kill him? I mean, you the, know? the odds are extremely low. Yeah, there's it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's Though, at least with the Asha case, there is some evidence that that may be true because people reportedly saw her by herself before. Yeah. No, and with Asha degree. But, of course, one doesn't, like, that doesn't preclude someone luring her out. No, I just didn't feel like the parents were involved with her. I felt like with that one, someone may have been grooming her, lured her out. Asha's parents acted like parents should have. Yeah. This one, I just, they're not acting like parents. And and I don't think being an adoptive parent is acting like humans. No. But that's really, there's not a lot else to this case. There have been, over the years, there have been a few times where 
something was found, like some bones or skull, and they think, oh, maybe this is is Jalik, and it, it never has been. So there's been plenty of spottings of him too, right? Yeah. Now they they actually they did an, an age progression uh, drawing. I saw it. Yeah. And they uh, ended up pulling it down because it was just creating a ton of false leads. You know, mm-hmm. um, just 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 constantly stuff coming in. This guy looks kind of like that, and they look into it. It's nothing. And um, eventually it was just, you know, like getting up false hope. And I'm not saying like the police, the police looked into all the leads on these. They, they did, but it just, it never really did anything. Now, um, and they, you know, I'd love to see a child who was found, who had had an age progression done of them to see how accurate it was. Yeah, I'd, Has there ever been a case like that? I'm sure there has been, but I don't know any statistics on that. I'd like to see a study or something maybe yeah. because it doesn't make sense to me how, how they can really be accurate. I mean, how can you just predict how someone's going to age? And, and maybe you can, right? There may be certain uh, consistencies, right? Yeah. I just, uh, I, I have no idea. I'd like to know though. Yeah. But again, what not much else has happened with this. Now, um, remember we talked about uh, Chief George Bell, who really did a lot looking for Jalik. Right, yeah. Uh, he died unexpectedly in December of 2018. That's a shame. It's a shame, too, because, you know, they lost, like, a real, real like, warrior, a real advocate, you know, out there looking for Jalik. Um, and, and, you know, it was a real loss for their local community because I can't say, I don't know about anything else he's done. But at least the way he he acted, the way he handled things in this case, he appeared to be a, like a, a good cop. And we don't talk about good cops very often in in our you know podcast because a lot of times it's police dropping the ball or just you know narrowing. Yeah, it's just in on the nature of, of what we're doing. Though. It is. There it are is, there are so but, many great police officers but, right there. But I'd like to talk about him as one of the good ones because we don't talk about him. Right, right. I mean, this guy like it was a big loss for his community. He was a great cop. Um, from, from what I read, he, um, in his 20 years as chief of police, never missed a day of work. Jesus. And this was, he, this was after a 40, 40 year career, you know, 20 of it as chief of police, police in Greenwich. Um, and you know, he, he reacted really quickly in Jalik. He worked with all these other agencies. I mean, they, they investigated hundreds of leads just as soon as they came in. You know, this guy was out there doing everything. He was going over budget for the police department. He was doing all the media interaction, you know, for the, with the FBI, for the FBI, for all these other agencies, he left no stone unturned. So let's just say, you know, police chief George Bell, we salute you. We salute you. And we know you are missed by your community. Do we know how he passed? It was unexpectedly. He just sort of uh, developed some flu-like symptoms and then died a couple days later. And when was this? 2018. Okay. I was, I was thinking maybe COVID. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think COVID was around. I mean, probably they have, not. They haven't traced it back that far, right. so hopefully not. Um, and that's pretty much the end of the case. Uh, like I said, Barbara Reilly now, the grandmother, she has not spoken to her daughter or her grandchildren in 14 years now because of this, you know, tear in their family. I mean... Can you blame her? Well, no, but I'm sure she misses those grandkids. I'm sure she does, but and uh, you know, I get it. Like, like I'm just glad someone in the family is not delusional. No, or covering and, something up. And I've got to say, there are cases where something happens to a child, and like the, the grandparents and the parents just like 
have a split over and in poor cases where the parents necessarily didn't do anything wrong or not as badly as this, right? There was there was a local case, um I shouldn't say case, it was just an instance I'm familiar with where a a baby died. I don't remember if she was like having tummy time or if if the baby may have rolled over. I think I think the baby was having tummy time and the mom walked out of the room and came back in and the, the baby had gone to sleep and smothered, right? And like the she was just completely ostracized by the grandparents and stuff, which she made a mistake, but that's not that's the level not of the play. same thing. The same thing, you know what I mean? And this is, I feel like, I can't say that, you know, when you have two parents like this, like Curry McDonald, that are so terrible. I mean, was it maybe some of their parents' fault? Does, were their parents not great parents? Like, I mean, probably. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know the full extent of this. I, mean, I just don't I think we can push the moral responsibility no, that I'm far not, back. No, I'm not trying to do that. Particularly after you have children. Right? I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm trying to say is I, I feel like you could at least call into question if all the stories that Barbara told are completely true. But fair enough. Um, but it, it, anyway, no matter how you take all that, even if they did not murder Jalik, right? They're still guilty because they were such terrible parents he ran away. And they did jack shit to help find him. And they did no, they they didn't act like parents. So I cannot say with a hundred percent certainty that Stephen Kerr killed his son. I can say with a hundred percent certainty that I would vote guilty out of just pure spite, likely. Well I mean obviously with the way he acted, like he, he probably deserves it. Yeah. But but I can't say I can't say that. I think it's likely, but we can't say that for sure. Um, we have to remember that these were people that took in foster kids and took care of them, and this may have you know, who may or may not have done it for their money. Well, well, well. Even the grandmother says she thinks they started this with the right intentions, right, right. And then things may have just devolved, right. So it, at one point, maybe these people had good intentions, and it. It just went astray. I, I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. I'd love to believe that, but judging by the way they behaved, it's just hard to right. Now, hard now, to imagine that. I will say though, like like we mentioned this earlier, I said I was gonna come back to it. It I don't think it's one of those things that he had planned ahead of time to kill him. Like if he did kill him. Well, I with think, this kind of explosive temper, it wouldn't yeah, need to be. No, though, right? I think I, mean, I think it very well could have just been like things just got out. Maybe Jalik had one of his fits at the house and Things just got out of hand, and he killed him. Now, um, there was a, a one phone call that, that this may support that just a little bit. One phone call around eight o'clock that Stephen Kerr got on his cell phone okay. while they were um, on their way back. I think after they left Red Robin, going to the house, okay. right? And it was a friend of Stephen's, and he said that Stephen seemed very agitated, angry on the phone, and that he made a lot of you know sort. of mean, angry comments about Jalik, and it seemed that Jalik was in the vehicle with him. And he was saying that stuff in front of Jalik. Oh, so it seems like they were probably arguing that night. You know, probably things kid. weren't going really well for them. That poor kid, man. He poor. had such a rough life. Oh, my end, that God. Poem. He was born into a rough life and just his whole life. His whole life. One bad environment to the next. Shitty now, parents, now I sh- won't say one bad environment for the next. Some of these foster families that care of him really cared about him. Uh, fair enough, because we don't know the whole history. That's and, true. and you know, it's just, just maybe they just were not equipped to deal with his sort of you know emotional issues. And we still don't know what special needs in this case means either. We we know that he had the um, 
Well, we know he had these outbreaks, right? He had these psychiatric problems. But it wasn't like a learning disability sort of thing? He had some developmental issues, but from what I understand, he had those, but it was mostly the psychiatric mental issues that were the big problem. Okay. Now, now I'm not saying he didn't have developmental issues. Obviously, a child that's born addicted to both alcohol and crack is going to have those. Likely so, yeah. Um, But they were not as severe as his mental health issues. So it's one of the saddest cases I think we've. Man, it's we've just done. it's horrific from start to finish, and the the way the parents behaved, I, I just it's it's abominable. I'm glad though that there were other people like the police chief, like the grandmother, like the the lady um, that that did his respite care, that cared enough to really go out there and try right. and try to find Julie. And do this work that his parents weren't doing. Because that was sorely lacking in this Sorely case. lacking. And at least there was someone out there to do that. And at least one of them was the chief of damn police, someone who could really get things done. Yeah. Yeah. Jalik Rainwalker was born to adversity. And through his short life, he faced even more adversity at seemingly every turn. If Jalik was still alive today... He would be 26 years old. While this is possible, most experts seem to disagree and believe that he would have at least surfaced after reaching adulthood. Jalik's story was sad from birth until his disappearance. He was troubled, though those that loved him say that at other times, he was a very happy child. I can only hope those bright, happy times outnumbered the rest. We'd like to thank you for listening to Fact and Suspicion. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd like and subscribe. It's just right down there. Yep. And if you have any feedback for us, or if you'd like to suggest an episode for us to cover, we'd like for you to contact us. As long as it's not Maura Murray. I don't know if we can handle Maura Murray, but... <laughs> We'd like for you to contact us through email at factandsuspicion at gmail.com or through Twitter at and suspicion. Again, thank you for listening. <laughs>